0: Today on the Almond Journey podcast. We've gotten to the point where they cannot process the almonds as fast as we can deliver
1: them. So therefore, we're all going to have to start storing them on site. Kerman almond grower Patrick Abercrombie talks about stockpile management. Hey, welcome back to the Almond Journey podcast brought to you by the Almond Board of California. On this show, we discover how growers, handlers and other stakeholders are making things work in their operations to drive the almond industry forward. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich, and I'm traveling up and down the valley, virtually in this case, to feature the leaders who are finding innovative ways to improve their operations, connect with their local communities and advance the almond industry. Today, we head due west of Fresno to the town of Kerman, California, to visit with almond grower Patrick Abercrombie. Patrick farms with his family and oversees daily operations as well as mechanic work. The family started growing almonds in 1996, and before that, they had grown alfalfa, cotton, and sugar beets, and also wine grapes, which they still grow today along with the almonds. About a decade into their almond-growing journey, it became difficult for local haulers to keep up with the increase in deliveries, and some untimely rains led the Abercrombies to start considering stockpiling. Over the past 15 years or so, Patrick has learned a great deal about the benefits and nuances of stockpile management, and he generously sat down with me to share some of those lessons and experiences for today's episode.
0: We got into almonds about 96, and at that time, the Almond holders, they could process the loads as fast as they came. And then about 2006 to 2007, it started to get where everybody was growing almonds. And then you just had so many deliveries coming in at the same time that they started getting backed up. Well, in about 2007, we got hit with about two inches of rain while we were trying to harvest. And we were only able to get about four loads a day, and I needed a minimum of ten to twelve, just to get done in a timely manner. So, in two thousand eight, we had a about a four acre lot, and I asked the the hauler and our processors if they had a problem if we stockpiled, and they're like, "No, go ahead." So, we basically picked up two hundred acres of Butte Padre and put them in uh, nice long runs. And at that time we were using a 30 foot by 100 foot plastics to try and cover them. So you were getting about four loads per pile. So
1: we did that so that
0: we didn't have to stop and wait on trucks. That's kind of how we got
1: into it. Right. And was that a common practice for that holder sheller? Did they have other growers kind of doing the same thing?
0: There was a guy here or a guy there that did it, and it was mostly because he trucked his own stuff, and he was maybe hauling wine grapes at that time, and so he didn't have the trucks to haul almonds and wine grapes, so he would uh, haul the wine grapes, stockpile the almonds. After they were done, then they would haul them all in, and basically they did it on their own. The co-op we belonged to is only about four miles from me, and because of that, they were able to send a loader and load all the almonds in the truck for me after we had stockpiled them. So that's kind of how that whole program got started with them.
1: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And what guidance, if any, did you have for how to do this? I mean, other than you had the space and you had the tarps, what kind of other questions or concerns did you have? And were you able to get those answered?
0: When we first started, again, the almond co-op where we send our nuts to get hauled, We asked them, you know, so the plastics are 30 by 100. How big do you make a pile? You know, so basically it was make it about 10 foot tall, make it 80 foot long, and then you had enough plastic so you could tarp it and have enough area or extra plastic left around the side to put sand so that you could make a nice seal so that the fumigant would stay underneath the plastic and no water could get into the pile
1: if it rained. Nice. And so uh, I imagine that first year, it it worked out pretty good for you.
0: The first year, we thought we were hot stuff with the amount of uh, loads we were kicking out in a day because there was no stopping waiting on trailers. So you went from, if you were lucky going in trailers, you'd get four to six loads a day. When we started stockpiling, we were getting like 18 loads in a day. And When we were limited on the amount of equipment we had, because we were just getting into the harvesting end, that really helped out a lot, being able to cover a lot more acres.
1: Definitely. And then, um, so when did you end up picking up the stockpile, and how long did it take to go through it when all was said and done that first year? The
0: first year, the plant waited until, I'll say about Halloween, and then they came in because they were getting caught up on all their product at that time. And so they had a free loader where they could come load up my stuff and then we'd bring it over to them. And the nice thing about that was the loader would come and they could load up 10 loads in a day and just run my product nonstop. So they didn't have to stop, reset for a different grower, didn't have to adjust any equipment because it was all the same product. So they had a nice long run, which then made your turnouts better and it helps out the grower also by being able to make long runs like that.
1: Right. Yeah, it sounds like the logistics work better on, on both ends.
0: Yes, it, it actually does work out quite nicely.
1: Yeah, that's great. And so then uh, have you continued with stockpiling about the same amount that this has now been, what, 16 years later? Have you continued to kind of stockpile the same amount year after year?
0: We no longer stockpile the Butte Padres. We now are stockpiling non-pareil, usually at the beginning of the season, about two weeks into when deliveries start happening, the plant's only able to receive like 250 loads a day. And there's times where they're going to receive 300 loads. Well, those 50 extra loads might add hours and hours to get unloaded. So by us doing like the stockpile, it helps them out. And now, since we're doing just non-pareils, we're able to... I think last year we did about 640 acres, covered about eight acres of ground.
1: And still the same type of, you know, 10 foot tall, 80 foot long for the tarps.
0: Now that we've been doing it for so long, uh, the plant is still doing, I think they're 40 by 100 now. We're buying 60 by 150 foot, uh, which is the biggest the uh, company we buy from can make us. And we end up now taping two 50-footers together to make a 300-foot set of plastic. And our piles are now about 15-foot tall. And they're right around 40-foot wide. And then they're about 285 feet long.
1: And why don't you stockpile the uh, Butte Padres
0: anymore? The almond uh, holer, they're able to keep up with the trailer demand at that time. Now, where before Butte Padre was what everybody had. And so that was the big variety at that time. Now it's moved to everybody has nonpareils. You know, pretty soon it'll be independence is probably going to be the next one that we'll have to start stockpiling because just that's when the plant's the busiest. So they can't receive all the almonds at that time. I see. Okay.
1: And and how how do you look at the economics of this? Obviously, there's costs associated with I bet those tarps are not cheap. And obviously, you've got to, you know, dedicate labor towards that. How do you kind of weigh the economics of stockpiling versus just like kind of waiting it out? Or maybe, you know, I don't know if you can deliver it to a further out hole or shell or whatever your other options might be.
0: Uh, currently at the almond holder that we're at, they give a two cent incentive. So they pay us two cents for every pound that we stockpile. And basically the two cents covers the plastic and it does cover most of the labor to cover the piles and seal them and basically with it doing that it kind of helps us want to do that but also mostly it's i gotta get the product out of the field and there's really nobody who has a yard big enough to store that many almonds if everybody in the valley was going to them
1: right well, I'm, I'm sure you've learned a thing or two, Patrick, over the you know 15 plus years you've been doing this. If somebody's listening and they might be looking at stockpiling for the first time this year, you know, what are some lessons that you can share along the way, or tips that you can give them to help them out to get started?
0: First thing, make sure your piles are straight and even, that they're nice and flat on top, so that you don't have a tall spot, a low spot, a tall spot, because what will happen? the wind will whip right there and it'll end up ripping the plastic in two. And You'll have to recover it, refumigate it. Make sure you don't have any big sticks. We actually now have a guy with a rake that's got like a 20 foot handle on it, kind of comb the sides to pull sticks out. Even though we run a de-sticker on our elevator and we condition our almonds, there's still always this twigs. Those will poke holes through that plastic. Then you have to go back and tape it, refumigate it. Make sure the plastics are nice and tight and that you have plenty of dirt or sand is best. Dirt's really not that great because once dirt gets wet, it will actually wash away. Sand will stay in its place. And make sure the seal on the plastic is flat on the ground, not on the side of the stockpile because water will go underneath it. If you have a nice seal on the ground, we actually have had where it looks like the almonds should be floating because we had a low spot and water when it rained pulled up right there and the almonds didn't even get wet. Wow.
1: Well, I know I used to work in the Midwest in the grain industry and we would always have trouble with deer getting into, you know, bags or or covered grain and, you know, just going to town on the stuff. Uh, Do you have any vertebrate pests that you have to worry about? if you get a lot of crows
0: they will start pecking at the plastic and no matter what you do they will always come back and attack the same spot we've put cardboard up there we've put multiple layers of tape new plastic once they hit a spot they just keep coming back to that spot and other than scaring them off there's really nothing you can do to keep them away We've had, after the piles have been there for extended amount of time, coyotes, for some reason, like to climb over the top of the piles. They really haven't done any damage. But as long as you have that really good seal, you don't get any mice in there. You don't get any of that once you've fumigated it. Have a really good seal. The rodents don't seem to bother it as much as curious coyotes and crows.
1: Mm-hmm. And what about when you get the weather? You mentioned that year where you had rain uh, hit, and that's kind of what prompted you to start this. But what about if you've stockpiled or you're stockpiling and you, you get that rain? Just like as when you send your product in,
0: it has to be dry. If it's not dry and you put it in a stockpile, it pretty much will heat up until it catches fire. If you have it in that plastic and it's very wet, you'll get a lot of mold and rot under there. We have learned over the years, if you can make your piles north and south, you don't have to worry about any mold due to condensation. East and west piles, which unfortunately is how I have to make mine because of how my yard is that I put them in, on the north side of that pile, you'll end up with more mold. So having a drier product, you eliminate that a lot.
1: And the tarps themselves, are these tarps that you really only get one year of use out of?
0: They're a one-time use because, unfortunately, they make really good uh, hay covers and uh, equipment covers for in the winter after you're done using them. But they end up with, just from sitting there in the sun for 30 days, uh, sometimes a little longer, they'll end up with just pinholes, just from rubbing it with the wind and those little little sticks will just start poking through after a while and when they do that you just can't trust it to fumigate underneath it again you need that nice new plastic with a good seal
1: okay and uh you you've mentioned fumigation what pests are you worried about and do you have to monitor these to make sure that the the, the fumigant's working
0: basically you're messing we're doing it for naval orange worm stink bugs yeah any kind of worms that might be inside the nuts. We have had a year where we had a scare because we didn't fumigate uh, right when we started. We waited till we had a few piles done. When we uncovered those piles, even though we had fumigated, there was a lot of moths. There was no damage to the nuts. Basically, we don't know why, but there just happened to be a lot of moths, which would have been you know, the naval orange worm. But... Yeah, when you do the nice fumigation, which is a uh, weevil side, and you do monitor it, there's a sensor that the person putting it out wears. He's also wearing a face mask. You need to spread it out as best you can on the piles, and that's not so much so that it gets an even fumigation. You could put it all in one spot. The problem is this stuff, when it gets activated, gets hot. So the more you spread it out, the better. If it's all in one little location, it can actually catch
1: fire. And I'm going to ask you to speculate here a little bit. If stockpiling wasn't an option for you all, what would look different today if if you just couldn't, you know, let's say your polar didn't allow that or something like that. How would things look different?
0: I honestly, I've been going said say to be a big speculation. The way that I think about it is back when everybody had cotton, you did cotton and cotton trailers and the cotton plants they could keep up with the cotton trailers. Then we all went to modules. And when you started doing the modules, the reason you did that was they weren't able to keep up with the trailers anymore. So then you made the modules on your property and then they would come pick them up when they were ready to process them. And that's basically what we've happened now with the almonds is we've gotten to the point where they cannot process the almonds as fast as we can deliver them. So therefore we're all going to have to start storing them on site so that we can then get them processed
1: and is the biggest barrier for other growers out there just having the space to do that or do most have it on hand somewhere
0: it is it's having the space they're trying to figure out different things to do but most farmers i mean you don't have space you want to farm because space doesn't pay your bills farming pays your bills so they've looked into doing things like what they do with silage, where the almonds would just come in and this tube would just hold all the almonds. The problem is if you're doing your non-perel, you wouldn't be able to get in the field because you'd be blocking your roads to do your pollinator. So if you're able to send your non-parel in and then stockpile your pollinators, then you could do a silage kind of setup. But otherwise Most farmers are going to have to start having one acre set aside or two acres per field just to start stockpiling their own stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, knowing that you have this option, has it changed your approach to any other, you know, related management decision in the orchard, knowing that you're going to stockpile? Obviously, it it would change your logistical needs during harvest, I would guess. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, talk to us about that. How has this changed your management?
0: If we were planting uh, different varieties, I mean, when we planted, like, my independents, we kind of put those on the far end of the ranch, knowing that I'm going to try to just send those in and not stockpile those and kept all the non parel varieties on the other half of the ranch since it's closer where the yard is, more centrally located. So the most I'm I'm having to drive is about three quarters of a mile to my yard to uh, stockpile versus the other end of the ranch where it'd be a mile and a half to two miles. One of the things I kind of skipped over is make sure you have really nice hard ground. You don't want a lot of rocks on the ground because you're going to pick them up and send in rocks. You know, make sure there's not any weeds. And the ground needs to be dry when you put the almonds on it. So what we normally do is like right now, knowing that I'm about two weeks out before I start my piles, we're watering the yard, we're scraping the yard and just keep doing that, trying to pack it, smooth it out. And the flatter you can make the ground, the better. The guys on the loaders do an amazing job. They really do not miss any nuts. Maybe a few shovel loads out of a huge pile. I mean, 25 loads in a pile and they miss a few shovel loads. That's nothing. But yeah, making sure the ground is as flat as possible and hard.
1: When it comes to sealing these things, you just use the sand, huh? I mean, that really put them over there and just sand. You don't have to, you know, I I remember with the grain business, we used to have to sew these things together.
0: No, you, uh. Basically, you make your your piles, and then uh, we pull the plastic over the top, and then I kind of go lift the plastic up, uh, me and another guy, and then I spread the fume again all around the edge, try and keep it about three to four feet off the bottom, just so that if there is any moisture and a pill didn't get activated for whatever reason, it doesn't get wet, which would cause a heat issue, And then the plastic, you try and get about from the edge of the almonds on the ground, about two to three feet flat. And then you cover right up against the edge, coming out away from the pile, about a foot and a half. And then pile the sand up about eight to ten, I mean to a foot. The more sand is cheap. When the plastic comes off at 2 a.m. and you have to go recover it and lost all your fumigation, And all that it's a that's a huge headache because it always happens saturday night and sunday you have to go redo it
1: well that was a ton of great information packed into just 20 short minutes there thank you so much to patrick abercrombie for sharing all of these lessons and experiences there's a lot to this process of stockpile management and a lot at stake here luckily there's also a guide out there to help which is the focus of today's abc update With the extra carryover in the crop this year, stockpiling could be a very practical way to extend almond storage if it's managed properly. If not managed properly, growers and holers-shellers risk product loss from mold growth or aflatoxin contamination, quality degradation, or pest infestation. Almond Board Associate Director of Food Research and Technology, Guangwei Huang, says this means that it's absolutely critical that the industry gets this
2: right. This will require great effort and coordination from both growers and haulers shoulders Growers need to dry nuts as quickly as possible in the orchard and deliver evenly dry in nuts. While holler-shoulders need to prepare good sites, make the right stockpiles, use proper tarps, stop infestation and prevent moisture addition.
1: Wong said that holer-shellers are very experienced with stockpiling already, and the Almond Board has had a stockpiling guide available for a long time that's been well used. But with this potential for more stockpiling to happen on-farm, there's now an updated guide to help everyone.
2: This bulletin can be an operation manual to properly make and manage stockpiles. The keys to success in stockpiling are very simple. It's just to control moisture, control infestation. And there's three approaches that our members can take including, firstly, only stockpile properly dry fuel run. Secondly, prevent the moisture addition from condensation and rain during stockpiling. And thirdly, stop and prevent infestation through effective humigation.
1: The updated guide has three sections. The first includes fundamentals on moisture management and other impact factors. The second to answer questions on harvest timing and drying, and the third to address area preparation, how to make a stockpile, and proper stockpile monitoring and management. So whether you're a grower or holer-sheller, make sure you download your free stockpile management guide, which can be found under the Harvest section of the Orchard Management page at almonds.com. We'll go ahead and leave a link directly to it in the show notes of today's episode so you can get there in one easy click we at the almond journey podcast believe everyone in the almond industry has a story of their own of how they're making things work on their farms or in their jobs hearing the voices of industry leaders people like patrick abercrombie may have sparked a connection or an idea that you can use in your own journey that's why we want to feature these stories of innovation resilience and community here on this podcast i hope you'll join us for the ride by subscribing to the show on your podcast platform of choice and please pass it along to someone else in the industry so we can all share in this almond journey together.